you are valued and you are needed. You will be emperor. I think you're about to go where everyone has gone before. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I am the one who was. And I'm Brent Allen, and I am the one who will be. And we're watching Babylon 5 for the first time for you, the one who is. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time, searching out for those messages that all sci-fi shows should do. We just tend to say Star Trek. But we're searching for how they're being done in a uniquely Babylon 5 way. And, oh, boy, are we going to hit that today. That we are. We're going to hit that in this podcast that is not a Star Trek podcast. And to keep us honest and not pull all those references in, we limit ourselves via the rule of three. That means we each get up to and no more than three references to Star Trek per episode. That's it. Three. One of those three. No substitutions, exchanges, or refund. <laughs> hey, Brett. Hey, Jeff. We have a five-star review. Oh, yes. It's from Apple Podcasts. I can't find a name 27. <laughs> Says, great perspective. Started listening to this podcast as I am watching Babylon 5 for the first time myself. And I'm also a Star Trek fan. Really enjoying their takes on the series. They are so similar to my own perspective. Awesome. I like when people out there share our perspective. Totally good when they don't also, but it's sure it's kind of cool when they do. Well, we have another five-star review. Oh, yes. Also from Apple Podcasts, we got some great Apple Podcast names today. This one's from Cam Cam. Cam Cam says, and so it begins. These gentlemen make me feel as if I'm sitting in the room with them during their conversation. It's informative, well thought out, and fun. I look forward to Mondays because of these two. Live long and... (laughs) Nope. Peace and long... I just have one more. Well... Thank you, my good, dear friends, Mr. Allen and Mr. Aiken. I like it. Yeah, it's a good I one. I like it. Good stuff. I gave. He's like, and so it begins, and I kind of gave like a little smirk. The folks at YouTube would be able to see that. By the way, if you're listening to the audio version of this, go to YouTube, check it out. Lots more fun happening way over there than what you guys get here, although this is good too. Uh, but I did, I did give a little smirk, and it's just because he said, so it begins, and I'm like, no, this is the one where it ended. Right? <laughs> also, I feel like we get the and so it begins meme, I don't know, every third or fourth episode. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, do you know what we do every third or fourth episode? What's that? Well, we get to the end of the episode and we predict what the next episode's going to be like. But we don't just do that every third or fourth episode. We actually do that every episode. It just every three, the cycle resets. Every three, we get one right. There you go. That's, that's yes. Yes. So, hey, anyway, what we do, we get to the end of the episode and we make a prediction of what next week's episode is going to be based on title alone. This is the spot of the show where we look back to last week to see what we thought this week was going to be about. Jeff, do you remember what you said into the fire this week's episode was going to be about? I do. And I think we both got 
uh, pretty specific in what we were thinking because clearly this was going to be the battle. Like this, this is moving and we knew it was going to happen. My specificity was that, um, we're going to get a lot of shadows versus Vorlon, pew, 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 fight, fight, fight. A lot of the league, league members were going to get killed and destroyed. It was going to be rough. And, um, and I believed that Londo, would uh, the episode would end with Londo being crowned emperor? So I I was not I was not that close on this one. What about you? Uh, I basically just said it's Ivanova um, going out looking for the first ones, and Sheridan's inserting himself into the middle of the Vorlon Shadow War, which is exactly what happened. I did take it a step further and say that at some point Sheridan's going to be backed up against the wall, and here's going to come Ivanova and the first ones uh, over the crest to to rescue them. Kinda. They didn't really come over the qu- the the crest, and Ivanova was actually there way before the first ones were. But there was a spot where, like, okay, let's call in the first ones, and then they came in and it happened. So, yeah, sort of, yeah. kind of, you know, but still, Ivanova searching for the first ones, Sheridan out there with the war. Now, if you're wondering who the first ones are or why Ivanova was there the whole time, you should go back and listen to some of our past episodes. Or if you just haven't watched this one in a long time, you're not quite sure what we mean by this Shadow Vorlon thing that happened in this one. Brent, will you remind everyone what Into the Fire is all about? Well, Jeff, I said in my prediction that this one would be Ivanova finding out about the first ones and that Sheridan would be inserting himself into the Vorlon Shadow War. And that's exactly what happened. So, Jeff, what did you think of this episode, Into the Fire? That really is the whole episode, isn't it? Yes. Like, that was it. There's a couple of, there's a couple other things that happened in this one though I think. Fine. Oh my gosh. I know I'm so yes. demanding. <laughs> right? Gosh. How have I done this for 75 episodes with you? Jeez. Well, Ivanova is out there searching for the first ones with Lorian. She's apparently been quite successful at it so far and it seems that there's only one left. She's getting tired of waiting for this last first one because she really wants to get back to the fighting. Lorian is just marveling at how brave and stupid I mean, human Sheridan's plan is. And before you know it, the final first one shows up and Ivanova's mission is complete. And now she can get back to the fighting. But the fighting hasn't quite started just yet. Sheridan and the fleet from the United Federation of Non-Aligned Planets are on their way, taking out a Vorlon listening post along the way. And it's about that time that Delenn gets the message from Ivanova saying that she's on her way. And Sheridan tells her, to haul ass and get there just as soon as he engages the shadows, blowing up some asteroids right there in their midst. Well, while Ivanova and her people are hauling ass, let's check in on Prime Minister Londo. Well, he's busy getting right to work, and the first order of business is getting the shadows off Centauri Prime before the Vorlon attack. And a close second in priority is getting rid of all of Cartagia's people because he really doesn't want a knife in the back. About that time, the Minister of Intelligence comes to meet with Londo, privately, and he reveals that it was not Lord Rifa who gave the order to kill Lady Adira, but rather, it was Morden. Londo, wailing about being played like a puppet, goes all rage room, sparing only a cute little 5 by 7 picture of himself on the side table. And he calls for Morden to tell him and his associates to haul ass off Centauri Prime. But when they refuse, Londo takes matters into his own hands. First, he has his guards shoot and kill the invisible shadow guard that is flanking Morden. And then he blows up an island. 
the island that the shadow ships are on. Yep, the whole island blew it up. And then he drags Morden away and he calls for Veer and sends Veer out into the garden to behold what is now my personal favorite moment of the entire series where Veer finally gets what he wanted to see Morden's head up on a pike as a warning to all who are going to go too far. And he would look up at the head and he would wave. Wolando sends the Vorlons a message, letting them know that there's no more shadows or shadow influences on Centauri Prime, so they can just leave them alone now. But as the Vorlons literally blot out the sun, Veer points out that there is still one more thing on the planet that has been touched and influenced by the shadows, Londo himself. And just before Londo has Veer run him through, the Vorlon ship hauls ass out of there. Why? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because Sheridan has called in the first ones, and the first ones are obliterating both the Vorlons and the Shadows. And the Vorlons have called for all ships everywhere to come and assist. But that's when both Vorlon and Shadows tap into Lita Alexander, who is on the bridge of the White Star, and she zaps Sheridan, and another one zaps Delenn, and sends them both off to a place where they can, well, talk. And Lorian does some sort of magic thing where he's trying to make everybody see what's happening. Well, off in the weird talky place, Sheridan is talking to what is apparently a Vorlon encased in ice. Delenn is talking to what is apparently the shadows appearing as members of the DVD cover, except for Garibaldi, because he's been a bit whiny lately and nobody wanted him around the set this day. There's lots of talking back and forth and lots of intercuts between the two conversations. But here's the gist of it. Sheridan and Delenn are pointing out the same thing to both sides. You're wrong. And you've been fighting for so long, you don't even know why you're really fighting anymore. You don't want to help the younger species anymore. You just want to get the younger species to say that you were the ones who were right. This is about you, not us. So we, along with all of our friends, are going to refuse to participate any longer. We're not taking sides anymore. The Vorlons. In shadows, don't like it. And in the real world, they start trying to destroy the White Star. But since the younger races are united in a federation of non-aligned planets, they are stepping in between the Vorlons and shadows and the White Star to keep them safe. As we said, they're united, not taking sides in this war anymore. Well, then the Vorlons and shadows become aware of Lorien's presence, and they envelop everyone in a really freezing cold death cloud thing. And Kosh the original Kosh and some random shadow guy both appear in astral form on the bridge of the white star. Lorian says that we have stayed behind to help the younger races, but now the younger races are in control. It's their time now, not ours anymore. And he convinces the Vorlons and the shadows and all of the gathered remaining first ones who have been in this battle. It's time for all of them to leave the galaxy and go beyond the rim and the vorlons or shadows are like well okay but will you go with us because we're scared and just like that lorian himself will also go thereby leaving the entire galaxy to the younger races now that that's over delen says it's time for them to make their own magic and create their own legends to build the future and stop being afraid of shadows and sheridan reflects on the intro from season one. This really was the dawn of the third age of mankind. All right now, Jeff, for real this time, what did you think of this episode 
into the fire. I call this a pantyhose episode. What? Be- yeah, pantyhose. Because okay. they shoved 10 pounds of fat into a five-pound bag. Like, this episode was loaded. I, I, same thought. I do not know how they got this into 43 minutes. It, it, it makes no sense. And, and it's, and, and I'm not saying this is not a, a, this is, this is me commenting on how masterfully done this episode was. Because when I watched it the second time, taking my notes, like it starts out kind of slow, like with, uh, Lorian and Ivanova having some back and forth on the White Star, Sheridan, Delenn, kind of, t- like it's kind of slow moving. And then when you get to the end, you're just like, Holy crud. This is like three episodes in one. They got, they got so much in, but Brent, this was it last week. I think it might've been last week or recently when I was talking about how often these hyper serialized shows in our modern times end, and they're disappointing. Mm -hmm. Well, this one ended in the early half of the fourth season. And I am so satisfied. This is everything everything i could have wanted i loved it i still have some questions i still have stuff but you know what there's like a season and two-thirds left so i'm very hopeful many of my questions are going to be answered but this this was amazing it was so good so good what about you are we sure this was not the season finale right i mean are we sure are we sure this wasn't the series finale right um jeff i'm gonna i'm gonna simply say this this is by far one of the best hours of television I have ever, ever watched in my life. Period. Full stop. I don't know that I could say it is the best because I'm not thinking of all the hours of television I've watched. This would be top three, I would think, if not number one. It was so good. As you pointed out, he packed so much into this episode. Like I started to sit back thinking when I when when I texted you before I started writing the review, I was like, I've got to write this review. How do I do this? And you went, good luck. (laughs) But oh, my gosh, Jeff, there's so much to talk about here. There's so much. Everything in this episode worked because it paid off what we have been waiting for three seasons and five episodes for what we've been told is coming. And it came and it's over. The Vo- I mean, as far as we know, the Vorlon Shadow storyline is done. Yeah. Now we do still have several episodes left, and there's more hanging out there. And we do we talked about this, I think, last week, Jeff. Like there are some story threads that are still dangling mm-hmm. that now get to get uh, uh, cleaned up. Uh, but for for capping a series of episodes, this is this is phenomenal. I will tell you though, I really hope. That starting next week, we kind of dial back from the hyper serialized portion. Yeah. And kind of like the whole show has always been serialized, right? Right. But these last, I would say these first six episodes of this season specifically have been super like this could have been a six night mini series on TV. Yes. Jam these together, make them a large movie kind of a, a situation. Remember we did that with, um, uh, those three episodes back in season three. Yep. Messages from Earth, uh, Point of No Return, and Severed Dreams. Those three right there. Um, we've seen Star Trek do this, particularly Deep Space Nine, when they did the final 10 episode arc of the whole season. Um, there was a couple other places where they would do hyper serialized mini arcs. I'm kind of hoping we're back to a mini arc and that the rest of the episodes go back to the 
normal serialized format. I don't need to go episodic, but let's go back to that normal serialized format because you kind of get a breath. It feels like we've been out of breath for the last few weeks, and uh, I kind of hope we go there. But, I mean, my gosh, this episode was phenomenal. Yeah. And, by the way, those people who paid us to tank the reboot, whoops, I just quit. It's cool though. The check cleared, so it's fine. We can. Quit <laughs> we don't now. have to. Great. <laughs> yeah. No, this it was great. What I loved about it too, and what we'll talk, we'll dive into as we get into some of our our, our notes and our conversation, is how well the seeds were planted earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. Like just the things that came. In fact, if I were to say I had one complaint about this episode, it would be the flashback that they did to Veer telling Morden that he wanted to see his head on a pike and he would wave at him like this. I almost wish that he just looked at him and waved. And then for those of us who've been watching, we're just like, he did the thing. No, right, right. And if, you know, and if you didn't know then, but, but also like that's, that is a, that is a no basis complaint because the flashback totally made sense. And also that was like two seasons ago. So and this is TV and people wouldn't understand it unless they had that flashback to know exactly what was going on. Um, This was a situation where this was not a clip show and it made sense. You know, it was, it was good. Absolutely. Uh, I meant what I said. And when I said it in my recap, that moment you just talked about right there is my new favorite moment from the entire series. Let me just read you verbatim. My note in capital bolded. You can see this on our Patreon. We post our notes up there. The greatest scene in all of Babylon 5, Veer waving at Morden's severed head. Yes. No words. More, Veer just walked out, looked up. Yes, there was the flashback that had words. He just looked up. He looked around, and then he waved. <laughs> and it was perfect. I was worried. So Londo set that up. He calls Veer in. So Londo's throwing his weight around. He's prime minister. He's cleaning house, getting rid of Cartagia's people. He's getting fired up you know, because he learned about the, the Rifa stuff or the, the Morden stuff. And he brings Veer in and he's like, I got you a gift. And my immediate thought was, oh, my God, that's what Cartagia said to Londo when he brought Jakar in. Is right. Londo slipping further into, and he's going to do something sick and twisted? And, yeah, maybe it was a little sick and twisted. Also, greatest moment in Babylon 5. So to that point. There were places where I really thought Londo was fully embracing what it is to be Centauri and the the crazy grittiness by which they do things, mm-hmm. especially because I, the note I had right before this is the greatest moment in Babylon 5 history says, I'm surprised Londo didn't execute him right away. And when he looks at him, he goes, I haven't even begun or something, whatever he said, whatever that quote was, I was like, dude, he's going to go like rip his eyeballs out and vivisection vivisection. the whole thing. (laughs) Right. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, this is how the Centauri do it, man. They're. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon five for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. 
You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. Yeah, I, I got definite like Cartagia vibes. Yeah, he him. blew up his own island. He blew up his own island on his own planet, which that kind of an explosion to blow up the whole island. I don't know what kind of nuclear winter that's going to cause around the, the, the globe, but hopefully not. I did appreciate where he said, listen, I got all my people out last night, except for a few that were willing to stay to maintain the ruse. That told me just how much power Londo actually has. And he could execute that in one night. In one night. I love that scene, though, too. Morden, I, I, I have a hard time believing that we're completely done with the shadows. Morden's reaction told me there's more to his relationship than just even cyber zombie or whatever. There's something that he was physically impacted when he blew that up. But just his, his Morden arrogance, right? Ah, we're not going to leave. Our ships are this. And Mondo's like, okay. Boom. Well, I mean, what was Morden supposed to say? He had he had his two shadow guards right next to him. I mean, what would they have done to Morden if Morden was like, okay, we'll go talk? Like he had he had to do something and he played his card as best he could and was like, nope, we're not going anywhere. When when those two guys got killed and he it like he kind of goes wild Morden. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm gonna get you. I'm like that seems unhinged that does not seem like that's why i think there's something there's there's more of something like he's some dependent so we'll never know we'll never know for sure unless there's some sort of a story but well let me let me give you a, po- a possible theory okay possible something later on in the episode when we get the um the astral projections of the vorlon in the shadow i recognize that voice it was morden doing the shadow's voice or ed wasser or whatever his name is the actor he was doing the shadow's voice. What if he actually is the shadow? Oh, wow. He's, he's the big harbinger, the, 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 guy, the eyes yeah, guy. Yeah. Just happened to be in that body. Um, one, more, one more note about this. When the, prime, or when the minister of intelligence revealed that it was Morden who was responsible for Lady Adira's death, I was not shocked at all. And I, I said I was going to go back and watch that part of the episode just to see. But I legit remember thinking when we found out that Lady Adira had died, I remember thinking it could have been Morden. There was something else that happened in that episode that it could have been Morden. Well, we saw Morden paying the the dock worker or whatever. He they had the crystal meth that they were paying people with. Uh-huh. And like so you saw the bribe that went down. I think we knew, we knew at that point that Morden had done it. But he had propped Rifa up as being the the patsy for it. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Because because I, I I mean I remember leaving and just saying okay well so Rifa ordered the death and fine like that's what they told us and I'll go with you. But to come back and rewrite that and say no no Morden, but to not be surprised like it, it was Morden. I thought it was Morden. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we landed on that even in in that episode. But yeah, but that's one of those like little details like 
as the next episode goes and the next episode, you don't even think about it anymore. You know? Most people, most oh. people don't. Yeah, you do. The I do all the time. But you know, that intel, I loved that intelligence guy. I thought he was great. I loved how he just, pres- he's like, I'm just giving you the report. This is just the information. I can give you more. But it makes me wonder, what else does the intelligence group know? Because that's some pretty, pretty deep stuff. They they know a lot. I would not surprise me at all to know that they know that Londo killed the cart killed Cartagia exactly or, or whatever, um, and they're okay with it. Probably that's what they do. And somebody's going to come kill Londo eventually, and somebody's going to and they're fine. Speaking of Veer, yeah, his hair is a lot bigger, a lot bigger. Veer's crest has gotten super big. He was awesome though. He was so hard. Right in that moment when Londo's like, I got rid of the shadows, I got rid of them all. And and then Fear's like, um, um, no, you didn't. And he's right in his face. Yeah. I mean, he was so and, he, and he's hard. His, his old little new skinny fingers just dangling out there. You know, and he, he wasn't even straight, like he had it kind of kind of crooked a little bit, which just made it pop out even more. Mm-hmm. You and Londo, you know what though? When Londo sat back and went, You're right. Veer, you have to kill me and let them know. In no way, shape, or form does that redeem Londo. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you that. Is that is that redemption for Londo? No, it does not redeem him, but it is the right thing to do. Like, Londo, Londo was right in the last episode. When I die, there will be a reckoning. That will have to come. He's going to have to account for this. But I think you can maybe minimize or mitigate the reckoning a little bit based on what you do now but i don't think it goes to full-on redemption i gotta be honest i kind of hope that in the next how many episodes we got left now uh 16 16 plus 22 however many that what is that 38 somewhere in the next 38 episodes that jms does something that just totally brings londo back i kind of hope he does and proves me wrong but i don't think it's going to happen well we know that He's going to ask Jakar to kill him and he's going to let Sheridan go free in the war without end future. If that future is the one that comes true and stays true, because you know what we didn't get in this episode? They're little friends, they're associates, they're people like the, the people that didn't get wiped out. The We did, though. We did. Well, we got we got the opening for it. Who Morden's getting drug out after after they blasted his shadow guard and, and is getting drug out. And he says, even if the shadows are defeated, we have allies. We will come for you. That right there. As soon as he said that, I'm like, there's war without end. I missed that line. He laid it all out. And which is one of those things, too, where oh, I just thought it was great. Like everything we're talking about, you know, was laid up. This is everything paying off. And there's still planting seeds for the future that we think that we know we're going to see. I I am still on the train of that future that we saw is not the future that we're going to get. It's going okay. to change. I think I kind of hope it doesn't, but I kind of think it is. We'll see. I did love to kind of close out the, the Londo conversation on this very end. Yeah. Veer's heading back to Babylon five Londo kind of feeling where he's at. They look at each other and they hug. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. Like that, that was a truly heartfelt moment. It calls back. You had talked about that really great interview. The gray 17 podcast did with Peter Jurisic and they talked about him and Kotsilis and their relationship. And you were like, I want to know about him and Steven first. They spent so much time together and it paid off in that moment. Like that was real 
That was real. I think they did talk about Stephen first a little bit, but still the vast majority of interviews I hear, it's always about Andreas and, and Peter. And I want to hear more about Peter and, and Stephen, honestly. So the other part of the whole episode, right? Like that was the one part. The other part is the war or was it really a war or the battle? The battle. battle I'm, I'm going to, I don't know if this is what it is, but I'm going to call it the battle of Coriana six. It's a little more of a mouthful than Wolf 359, but hey. A little bit. I loved, just to kind of kick things off, I loved Sheridan's leadership through so much of this episode. But immediately, it was like, we got that really cool scene where they blew up the listening post and they all popped into hyperspace. And we saw all like the different league and race ships together. And and he and Delenn are standing on the bridge of the White Star. And he's like, he says, uh, you put together a hell of a team, Delenn. You should be proud of yourself. And the whole time I'm like, dude, you did it. You did it. But you know what he's doing? He's uplifting the people around him. Leaders lift. Yeah. So good. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, Jeff. I'm going right. to mm-hmm. let you say that and I'm going to hold my comment on it. Uh, I will tell you this about Delenn, though. You brought her up. Delenn cussing will never not be funny. I agree. It's so good. Whole ass. Right. Okay. Well, whole ass. <laughs> So his strategy, right, was to bring them into the crucible. Yep. And he had nuked, they nuked a bunch or put nukes on a bunch of asteroids around it, lure them in, start blasting the asteroids. Do you remember where those nukes came from? Yeah, that was from Jakar. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, ah. I I didn't catch that till my second watch through. Do you remember, do you know where that strategy came from? No. That's how he blew up the Black Star. Oh, really? He set up a distress signal. He mined an asteroid field. Oh. Brought it in. And so part of me was like, brilliant, right? Like, you you know, it worked. Also, you're doing it on a Minbari ship, which I don't know if it's a reconciliation or if it's a slap in the face. It's probably a reconciliation. But uh, yeah, super effective strategy. There was a, in the battle, we got a cockpit scene. I think of a Star Fury. Kind of go around and pew, 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 pew. I don't remember where the Star Furies were in this. Like, uh, wait, when was the last time we actually saw a Star Fury doing anything? It's been a long time. It was when it was when Garibaldi got hauled off at the end of, end oh, of season yeah. three. All right, fine. It wasn't that long ago, I guess, but still. Feels like it. It feels like it, yeah. But we got. I think there's a Star Fury were in the cockpit or a fighter of some kind. And all I thought, and please don't answer this question. Not yet. Wait till the we get through with this. But if that wasn't set up to roll out a video game, I, I don't know what was. Like, that was, that was literally just like, hey, here's gameplay footage. Are you telling me that's not from Mass Effect? There's, there's, no, there's really no ship-to-ship battles in Mass Effect. Not that you play. They just they play out cinematically, which is too bad. Interesting. So hot take. Yep. Well, let me ask you this before I give my hot take. What did you think of the battle, just overall, like compared to other ones we've gotten? I... I liked the part where the first ones came in. I really wish that we would have been able to see more of their ships because the ships seemed very weirdly shaped and we only got to see them like from one direction. I kind of want to see what the rest of the ship looked like. Cause they looked very, ugh. um, I thought they came in and made the Vorlons and shadows look silly. Yeah. When they came in, when, when they sliced through that one big, like mother Vorlon ship, like it was hotcakes. And I mean, consider what the Vorlons and Shadows are doing to us. And they're doing that to the Vorlons and Shadows. 
uh, I, I thought it was really pretty, but I will, I will say this for everything that they have. I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, and I don't know if this is the right term. So forgive me to the scenic artists who painted space. Oh my gosh. Who painted the backgrounds to this whole thing. It was gorgeous. The opening shot of the white star flying in and a nebula hanging out, uh, when the battle's happening, the red, uh, I guess nebulas, whatever the clouds around them. Like it was, it was gorgeous on multiple levels. I'm just like, this is so pretty, so well done on a production level. Yeah. What held up, would hold up in any sci-fi show today on TV. That was honestly, I was underwhelmed by the battle. I mean, I knew we weren't going to get a, a lot, you know, I mean, just because it's expensive to put that on, but even, even the verbal back and forth, it was like, Oh, they're battling. They're blowing up asteroids. Oh, they're backed against a corner and it's not working. So I guess we have to call in the, Oh, they called in the first ones and well, they're going to call Vorlon reinforcements. Like it felt like it felt to me like it almost ended on a stalemate to where the shadows and Vorlons were like, well, we're not going to win this in space. So let's go talk to, let's go talk to Sheridan and Delenn and then try and convince them. I don't know. Well, but that was exactly Sheridan's plan was to get involved and then force something and and I guess the Vorlons and the Shadows both had the same idea at the same time and said, let's both go take over Lita and she'll shoot one of each. Yeah. And they're going to go like I, I it was weird. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, like I, I will 100 percent allow that for the sake of the story and just accept it and go with where JMS was taking us. You know, like I'm not criticizing it. He had 43 minutes to cram in so much. I'm going to be cool with it. It was a little weird though. Yeah. It, just, it felt like you have done songwriting before where we're going to move from this section to this section and maybe the time changes or there's something and we can't come up with a smooth way to make it happen. So we're going to have a big hit break for a bar and boom, come in with the new section. And at first it kind of like, well, I kind of felt a little weird that it changed. But then after you listen to it for a while, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally, totally works. And it, yeah, if you just step back 20 feet, Okay, yeah, this works. But if you step forward that 20 feet, you're like, this doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, yeah. But it works. It gets us where we needed to go. Yeah. And if I could criticize any effects, the 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 electricity freezing effect on Sheridan and Delenn, I've seen better. Yeah. Like if I could if I'm gonna criticize something, I don't want to just heap adulation on a on an episode that deserves all the adulation that it's getting. If that's really what I'm complaining about, Jeff, this is very small potatoes. Yeah, because it was good. I, I love that they made them different colors, you know, and so it was kind of clear who was where. And but yeah, there was a lot there. I you mentioned in the recap how um, Delenn, when she was talking to the shadows, had the DVD cover coming yep. to talk to her. That bothered me. It should have been Drawl. It should have been Shalmayan. Mm. and all these people that we know are so important to her coming and speaking to her. But instead, like. I, I, I kind of get Ivanova, you know, that they bonded back in the second season, but Franklin, what's Franklin doing there? Well, he hasn't been in the show so far, so we had to, you know, give him something to do. Although I, I appreciate it. it was, hey, I was glad, I was glad to see him. I liked seeing him. I liked how he overacted the piece because like <laughs> it was, that, it made sense. I thought it, it was weird that he was in, in uniform. Yeah, that too. You know? Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I thought it was very weird. Um, can we, can we talk a little bit about what they were talking about and where they got to, to the whole piece? Yeah. I love the spot where they said, 
What if the right choice is not to choose at all? What if we reject the idea that we have to decide which one of you is right? What if we simply walk away and they both bow up and one says, no, there is only chaos and evolution. And the other one says, no, there is only order and obedience. They're both saying, do as you're told. Mm -hmm. That's what they're both saying. Like they're literally saying the same thing. You're going to fight because we tell you to fight. Jeff, a long time ago, I do not remember where, but I posited a theory. Now, it's, this is a little bit different than what the theory actually was, but it turns out it actually is the exact same thing. I posited the theory that the Vorlons and the Shadows are two sides of the same coin, that they're actually kind of like I was saying that they're literally the same race, and that's not the case, but they are, a, they are sister races, I suppose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they're, from the, they're cut from the same cloth. They have the same ideas, the same. Uh, they're, they're the same. Just they approach things too different, but they're literally, it's like two sides of the same coin. And that absolutely, I think, came to fruition here uh, watching that. Well, Sheridan said it. They are two sides of the three-edged sword. And he said, we're not going to be the third way anymore. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. We're, we're changing it. I, I had two big thoughts on what you said. One, and they're both two of my favorite things. I was losing my mind through this whole section because first, last week, right here mm-hmm. on this on this podcast, I said, I said, uh, Hey, I'm going to sit in my leadership chair for a minute. I'm going to tell all you managers out there. It's not about being right. Stop trying to be right. It's about, you know, helping the people do the best and be the best they can. And then that's where Sheridan starts going. He's like, it's not about being right. And I'm like, Oh my God, look at that. Another great Sheridan leadership moment. Also a little crazy. I brought it up last week. Like that's pretty wild. But the second thing, the answer to the question, the understanding, right? Or as Lorian said, uh, Sheridan knows. We just hope he knows that he knows. Well, if he listened to the 1979 record Permanent Waves by Rush and the incredible track Free Will on there, he would know that even when you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And in this case, it was the right choice. The answer to the shadows and the Vorlons is rush. I love this show. I have to save the rest of my thoughts. <laughs> just so you know, like there's so much more I want to say, but I've, I've, I physically have to say it. I loved Lorian's parting words though. Mm. When everything came down, he looked at them and he said, and I, I love this. He goes, this is yours now. And you have the same obligation that we did. Like, like he's like commissioning them. You know, as the old goes out and the new comes in, he's like, here it is. I'm handing it to you. Teach the younger races. And when the time comes, step aside and let them grow into their own destiny. Jeff, that's parenting. Like with a kid, like teach them what they need to know, guide them. And when the time comes, you've got to step aside and just let them go. And he says this. I thought this was so interesting. And if your races survive, if you don't kill yourselves, and he goes on. I just sat there and I thought, and you know what that means is we have the capacity to not survive. Mm-hmm. We have the capacity to really screw this up. I love that Lorian wasn't a deus ex machina. Right. The war is, ha- the battle is happening. The shadows and the Vorlons pull Sheridan and Delenn in. The whole time, Lorian's just like, got to let it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then when they, the, their astral projections come on board, he just tells, he just says to Sheridan, he's like, just know that the thing you say next 
will spell everything that happens. I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm not going to coach you. I'm just literally telling you this is your moment. Mm -hmm. He was willing to let it all burn. If that's what it was, if it's not time, it's not time. The next round will pick it up, right? Or the one after that. I I loved that about Lorian because it would have been really easy for him just to come in and been like, we're done. You're gone. You know, he's going to let it roll. Yeah. He's going to let it. It causes me to ask this question, though. So great. We have the universe now, or the galaxy or the whatever. We have inside the rim. What happens in a million years? Who's Lorian in the future? Draw because he absolutely did nothing. Yeah. You remember the whole thing? We're gonna there's this great machine and we're watching and we gotta put the battery in and Zathras is there and he appears to Sheridan at the beginning or somewhere oh, towards the end of season two, I think it was, and he's like, I'm gonna devote my resources of the planet to you to help things happen, and we ain't done nothing with it since. Yeah. The most we've heard about it is hey, we're gonna evacuate some people from Babylon Five down to the planet because we're getting a little full up here. Yeah, we have space. That like that whole storyline to this point right here, which I thought it would have been a part of this big war, has been completely dropped and forgotten about. Right now, people out there are either going, just wait, or yeah, we kind of forgot about that one. So I have a small list of things like that. Okay. So I I kind of left these as like my big questions that are left hanging that I hope in the next 38 episodes they touch on, but there are a couple of these I was just like, but wasn't this a thing? So they made a big deal out of when Avadova was in the great machine and she was going through and tracing to see where the first ones were. And then the harbinger shadow saw her and she's like, he knows my name. He knows my name. Fast forward to when they went to Zaha doom to look for it. And big guy, he knows our names. He knows our names. So what? Who is dude? That never, that went away. And there was all this, why was it Delenn the shadows talked to? And it seems like they've got a little touch point with Ivanova. Maybe it should have been Sheridan and Ivanova that were there. Yeah. What happened to all the Psychor people that were flying the shadow ships? Where are they? I, I my, my assumption is they're all dead. Like by the time they got plugged into a shadow ship, they're not like, I don't know what the deal was with Morden, but when we saw Anna, that clearly was not Anna. Right. Right. She like, was a zombie. Was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Morden seems like a different animal altogether. That other old dude that was in that room with them. I don't even. Justin? I don't, yeah. I don't even understand what that is. Was he the Lorian for the shadows or something like that? Like, I don't know. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. These things that just kind of came up and went away or whatever. Do you remember the Vendrizi in Exogenesis? I remember Exogenesis, but uh, what did they do? Well, they were the one, the keepers of all the history. Oh, they yeah. Had all this. Where where was all this? Where was all that? Which brings me to kind of my, my, my last big question on it. In, in the Shadow of Zaha Doom, we got kind of the breakdown that led to this, right? There were the ancient ones. And the, that's who I'm assuming was like Lorian and, and his yeah. crew. Then there's the first ones. And we saw eight of those, the six that Lorian and Ivanova went and got, plus the shadows, plus the Vorlons. Yeah. So 10,000 years ago and then 1,000 years ago, the shadows rose up and all the first ones got together to push the, the shadows down. But if that's what happened, why is it the shadows and the Vorlons trying to convince the lesser races to either fight each other or like those two stories don't reconcile for me. Mm. The story we were told, which admittedly was probably from Vorlons telling Minbari the story, but it was all about, yeah, we got to shut 
we got to shut the shadows down. They're bad. We're going to destroy. Remember, we've defeated them in the past. This time we have to destroy them. But we didn't destroy them. We didn't destroy them. We just let them go. Now, we're also assuming that they all went. What if there's a shadow ship buried on some planet over here that's going to emerge in a couple of years and be like, hey, it's just me. Awesome. Let's take over. Right. I got this. There's no Vorlons left here. No one else. It's mine. I, I got to say, uh, there was a part earlier in the episode when Lorian said to Ivanova, talking about the first ones, he's like, yeah, they've not spoken to anyone outside their own race for centuries. And I was like, only centuries? Feels like that should have been millennia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if it's just been a couple hundred years, that's a really short amount of time, given the time span that we're talking uh, for for ancients and and first ones and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think that lines up my last thought before we get into the real meat of this. I mean, we're here. We are way into this. We saw this is just a huge episode with a lot. But Lorian talked about like the physio, the physiological history of of sentient life, mm -hmm. you know, where he's like, yeah, we were created. The universe created us and we were immortal. You know, we could get hurt. We could get sick. You know, we could die, but we didn't age out. And then the universe decided that in order for us to appreciate the finer things in life. We needed to shorten our lifespans, mm -hmm. shorten your lifespans. Wasn't Kosh like a thousand years old. Didn't he fight in the other war? Like, and is that what's happening as the races get younger? Are the, the time frames compressing so that they can appreciate life that much more, which I think is a great question to pose as I think we've reached that point of the episode. We're going to boil this all down. There's a lot to boil here. We're going to talk about all the great messages in this episode and just how Babylon five, they were delivered. Brent, I feel stupid even saying this at this point, because holy crud, we have a lot to talk about. And frankly, that doesn't get any more Babylon five than into the fire. But Brent, you have the responsibility of rating this episode from zero to five Delta theories on the weight of these messages and how Babylon five, they were delivered. I think we've got a lot to uh, converse about as we dive into these. I've got notes on them, but Brent, why don't you lay it on me? So for the first time in the history of the show, Jeff, I really hate the idea that we're doing anything Star Trek here, that we're using Delta Furies and not just calling these Star Furies. I'm not saying we're going to change just for this episode, because what this episode does is what I want and what I think all good sci-fi does not star Trek sci-fi that's holding up a mirror to society, giving you hope that you can be better in the future, uh, showing us how we ought to be and how we ought to live and, and showing that we can do it, that we as humanity have the capacity for greatness to be better than we are right now. That's what good sci-fi does, in my opinion. We, we kind of side-eye it saying it's Star Trek throughout the course of the show, but that I really want to focus on. This isn't about the Star Trek thing. This really is about what sci-fi does. That being said, uh, and there, there was more I could have taken, but I pulled five things, five from this episode that are not... Hey, I'm trying to search for messages. And there was this one little thing over there that if I take it and I pull out this idea, I'm going to get this message. No, no, no. I think these are intentional messages that JMS and his philosophy of how things ought to be, how humanity should be, how humanity is right now. And he laid them up on a platter and said, this is it. 
this is what we're doing. I've got five things. There could have been more. Here are the five. And these are some Star Trek ideas too. The first one is this. I'll put it in full Star Trek terms for you. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Replete. Lorian says about Sheridan's plan, he's making a crucible that will force out the truth. It's very brave, but very human. Humanity has the amazing capacity to sacrifice itself for others, for the truth. It is very brave, and it is a uniquely human aspect. Now, I'm saying this in the real world when we don't know about other aliens that are really out there, if they're really out there, but this is a capacity that we as humanity have to sacrifice ourselves for the greater good, for uh, for people that are other than ourselves. It was an amazing message, I thought, when he said he has, the, this is what we're doing. It's very brave, but very human. Number two, humanity is the hope for the galaxy, speaking to the potential that we have as humans. Star Trek Enterprise, I really think, pushed this idea more than any of the other Star Trek series out there, that it was humanity that was the catalyzing force for uniting the planets and bringing them together. Before humans went to the stars and enterprise, the Andorians were out there. The Vulcans were out there. The Tellarites were out there. They all existed and they were all at war with each other. It was the new guys on the block. It was the humans who were able to bridge the gaps and bring those three species together to form a federation of united planets that were at one point non-aligned. Literally what we saw happen in this episode, a human came in and you, not a Mimbari, not an R, not a Centauri, a human came in and united. And yes, he gave Dylan the credit. You mentioned this earlier, Jeff, he gave Dylan the credit, but he is the one who actually united them. It's almost as if saying that humanity is the hope of the galaxy. We are the hope for the future. Jeff, I believe this. This is this is core to who I am as a Trekkie. This is core to who I am as a sci-fi junkie. This is core to who I am now as a Babylon 5 lurker. What are we calling ourselves? I don't know. Uh, I don't want to be a lurker. I don't want to be somebody who's down. The last ones? Be, uh, the, the last one? There you the, go. The next ones? The next ones? Okay, there we go. I like it. But it is it is us. Think about that for a moment. It is humanity is the hope of the galaxy that we can be the ones that it just speaks to the incredible potential that we as humans have. It calls us to be better than we are even now. Here's the third one. I got death is what gives life meaning in Lorian's talk. It is in death that life was found to be valuable. You just referenced it talking about the, the physiology of how this worked of, yeah, when we first were in, we were immortal. And then they realized that nothing was really worth it. And Lorian, he he talks this bitter, like we learn not to love because it turns to ash because they'll go away. Right? Like I was so sad for him in that moment. Like this sucks. It is death. The idea that it is limited is what makes this so valuable right now. This literally Jeff is what data taught us as an Android in star Trek. First in Star Trek, the next generation, then through the movies, and then eventually in Star Trek Picard. This is an entirely Star Trek message. This is an entirely sci-fi message. How many times have we seen the idea of immortality sounding pretty cool, but not being cool at all? I think we also saw that in X-Men 
with Wolverine and yep. Sabretooth and those guys, right? And Highlander. There you go, right? Right. Good, yeah. More sci-fi, right? Weird. Weird how that works. Uh, number four, conflict is not resolved through force, but through dialogue and understanding. Can't get much more Star Trek than that idea, right? You cannot win this one with force, Lorian said. You have to understand your way out of this. It's not fighting. It's through dialogue and discourse. It wasn't out there. In fact, Sheridan walked into the battle saying, we're going to lose this. If this is up to, if this is sheer strength, we're done. Our only hope is to get these people in a room and have that conversation and come to an understanding with them. The idea that they showed up to talk there at the end after they pulled the death cloud out was really phenomenal. The idea that we got Kosh back, Kosh Naranik, Kosh won because he's supposed to be dead, 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 dead. The last one, number five. And this one, I think, does the best job of holding up mirror to society right now. Here it is. Refuse to take part in the madness anymore. Now, I don't know that this was actually a specific Star Trek message, but I can totally see Picard doing this in an episode. I think I could even see Kirk doing this in an episode. I don't think I see Janeway. I can see Archer doing this in an episode. Uh, Pike doing this in an episode. Refuse to take sides anymore. And I'm going to speak directly to my fellow Americans out there. In the next year, as we record this, Jeff, we're going to be electing uh, our, our next president. We're in that round. The current climate is highly charged. I could not watch this episode and hear what the what the Vorlons and the Shadows were doing and how they were, you must obey. You will fight because we tell you to fight. And he just sat there and said, what if we don't take sides anymore? There are powers that be that are not even remembering why they're fighting anymore. They're just fighting to get us to say you were right. It is about them and not about what's best for us as a country. And when you turn us in on each other, by the way, I hope this rings out to our brothers and sisters across the pond over in, in England and over maybe even north of us in Canada, where I know things can get a bit touchy sometimes um, in other countries that are facing the same thing, refuse to take part in the madness anymore. I'm not, you're not going to pit me against each other. I'm not taking sides on this one. I'm not going to capitulate to what you're saying. I'm not going to get in as much as you can scream and yell and tell me that we're in the middle of a war for the soul of our country. I'm not going to participate in it anymore. Refuse to take part in the madness anymore. And guess what? If you do that, they have no more power. Again, I don't, I can't think of any specific instance where we saw this in Star Trek, but I think it's a phenomenal message that is solely and uniquely Babylon five, Jeff, but I 100%, like I said, could see several of our Starfleet captains doing that. I gave you five messages, Star Trek quote unquote messages that I found in this episode. I don't know that I've ever seen them that clear or that replete or that chock full in any episode of Babylon 5 to date. And I don't know that we could have because these messages weren't just in this episode. They have been seeded. They have been talked about. They have been, been, uh, uh, watered grown sprouted and come to fruition and now is just the, the episode that we're harvesting them in so i'm going to give this one star fury for each or one delta fury i'm sorry for each of the things this is a five delta fury episode through and through and jeff you probably even have some more things that i missed 
Well, first of all, on number five, I was I was so with you because that was my Delta Fury message for the summoning. The other side of it, right, was just people, the masses just just jump from one side to the other, just whoever's yelling the loudest, right? And fear of looking dumb or fear of missing out on something, they just jump, jump, jump. When finally Sheridan, through his understanding from that moment to now, he's just like, no, no, no more, not anymore. But as far as like the seeding of things, I think the one theme that you and I have spoken about more than any other theme throughout all of Babylon 5 is the concept of of who we really are, our true self. I use the term be, do, have, right, to talk about that. But Sheridan just laid it out in front of those astral projections. You ask, what do you want? You ask, who are you? Well, who are you and what do you want? And you can't even answer those questions anymore. The Vorlons in the shadows lost who they are. They lost their be. And that's what caused everything to fall apart when they stopped being who they were. So I loved that. I also loved the piece, not only about humanity or mankind or whatever, you know, that we're the, the term we're using, but for us, we'll say humanity is the, the galaxy's greatest hope, but where it's greatest hope because our ability, as Lorian said, our ability to believe that love is eternal is what becomes our greatest gift. Because we can believe that. He knows it's not necessarily true because he is eternal, right? And he's seen it fall apart, but we can believe. And we can we can act from that and we can make amazing things happen. And that ties to my last big piece. We all need love, all of us. Even the high and mighty shadows and Vorlons. Brent, when when they knew they had lost, in that moment when they knew that the man, mankind, which is, God, I wish there was a better word. We'll call it all mankind or whatever. But when they knew that they were going to go off on their own and Lorianne kind of talked him down, you know, a little bit when he finally stepped in, Sheridan demonstrated understanding and he, and Lorianne said, go, go be with those people that we miss and want to be with us. Go beyond the rim and be with them. They both asked, are you coming with us? Will we be alone? My heart broke when I heard this, just like, oh my God, they just want their mommy and daddy. Yeah. And like, and, and selfishly. Over the last three years, I lost both of my parents. I just want my mommy and daddy, you know, and I'm an old man <laughs> and that's all I want. And, I, and that just it hit me so hard. And, and to think of the billions of lives that were lost, the trillions, if you look at it over time, because they wanted that love that existed. If we can just, if we as humanity can believe that love is eternal and then we can love, we can do that. Brent, oh my God, I'll give four, I'll give 5,000 Delta Furies to this oh, one. I would, yeah, if more far scale went higher, uh, it, it is, it is jam packed. There's so much in this episode that, I mean, Jeff, this episode could be talked about for hours upon hours upon hours. However, we will not talk about this episode for hours upon hours upon hours and you have a very difficult task. I had the easy one of doing the recap and pulling the messages out. They were so easy. You have the incredibly difficult task of ranking this episode and our 100% completely accurate definitive ranking of season four, Babylon five, Jeff, our current top five. This is the first time we're going to have something fall out of the top five. 
Our current top five are in order. The Long Night, Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi, The Summoning, The Hour of the Wolf, and Falling Towards Apotheosis. Apotheosis. Yep, that's the word. Jeff. Apotheosis. Yep. Jeff, take your time. Think about it really carefully. Where are you going to rank this episode into the fire? Hmm. Let me think about this. Uh, Number one. Yeah, this is our number one. And if I was anything less, you should unsubscribe. You should block me on all the social media and never, never communicate with me again, unless it's asking or offering me professional help. Brent, this is the, I think, I think this might be the greatest episode of um, Babylon 5. Wow, you think so? Like maybe just possibly, possibly. It really is. I I mean, well, I said earlier, I don't know if we were recording or if this was in our preamble. This might be a top three episode of television, period. Yeah, it was was my opening thoughts of the year. This might be one of my top three favorite episodes of television all out there. And I'm a, obviously I'm a big fan of TV. I, I like a lot of TV. Like this, this is an episode that'll stick with you. Yeah, this is so good. It get, and it gets better. If you're going to show one episode so far of Babylon 5 to somebody who's never seen it before, just to say, show you how great this episode, the show can be, this might be the episode to do, even with all the, without having all the back. I, want, I wonder what it'd be just to jump into this without. Yeah, I'm curious. I think about what was it? Um, was it and now for a word or one of them? I forget which one it was, but we were just like, this is a great episode to just show somebody. And now for a word, certainly. I don't know if that was the one we were talking about. There, there's been a few episodes that are like, this is just a good episode of TV to show someone. Yeah, and could really hook somebody in and give them the pieces. I would be fascinated. Like, I almost wish we could turn back time and before we watched the gathering, we watched this episode and saw what it was because, like, my one complaint was that you know Veer and Morden flashback. Without that, you know what? I don't know. Yeah, interesting thought. Jeff, I happen to know somebody that is a fellow podcaster who I know has never seen Babylon five and is completely unspoiled to it. Huh? Now he's a little retired from the podcasting game right now, but I wonder if I could get him to do a special one-off episode, a buddy, Matt. Yeah. As I say, also, I'd love to be on a show with Matt. That'd be Matt's phenomenal. You would love Matt. You really would. He's a phenomenal dude. We should try to make that happen. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be great. That'd be really cool. Would Would that be Patreon exclusive or would we put it out for everybody? I don't know. Well, Brent, 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 that is it for Into the Fire. And to all of my music fans out there, I just want to say I hope you appreciate the self-restraint that I showed up to this point in not referencing Megadeth's Jump in the Fire uh, this whole time. It was was not easy to leave that out. But next week, Brent, next week we are watching Epiphanies for the first time. We play a game here on Babylon 5 for the first time where we don't look ahead. We don't look at thumbnails at synopses anything we don't know what's coming up next other than the title alone and then we like to guess what that episode's going to be about so brent what do you think epiphanies is going to be about well jeff i i think what we have just seen is a six episode arc and i think next week there's going to be a drastic shift in tone in pacing and in direction of the show um, and so I think this next week is really going to serve to kind of set us off in the direction, as you mentioned the other day of wrapping up all these dangling threads. So now that the whole shadow thing is sorted, uh, I think we're going to get a lot of revelations or epiphanies about what's going on with EarthGov, how they were in bed with the shadows. And now that's not there in the Psycor situation. Um, I think that's going to come to light out there. 
And it's going to start us down this road of not Babylon five and earth reuniting. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think Babylon five is going to stay neutral and they should stay neutral, but like the Babylon five personnel, Sheridan, Ivanova, Garibaldi, uh, Zach, all those guys, they're going to kind of return to Earth's service. It's going to start us down that road of getting them back in Earth Force or whatever that new situation is going to look like. Because this is the fallout of this is going to blow up whatever's been going on on Earth. Home Guard, Ministry of Peace, Psychor, President Clark, like it, it's going to blow all that up. And this is going to set us down that road to clean up all of that um, deal. What about you? Yeah, I think we're going to slow down. A little bit. It's gonna things are gonna get smaller. A little. It should. Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't get. It doesn't. Get, how does it get bigger than this? Than saving the galaxy? I mean, right? what is the Star Trek Discovery? Seriously. Yeah. Who takes a whole season to do it? We're gonna we're gonna make that shift in the middle of a season. Not even the middle. The first third of a season. We're gonna we're gonna make that shift. But I think we're gonna get a lot of people reflecting on the new reality. I think we're gonna pick up on Jakar and the Narn situation. But I I agree. My note here is also that. The Earth, Earth is going to become a thing again. What what I kind of thought was that uh, we had the episode back in um, back in the hour of the wolf, mm-hmm. where Ivanova was just like letting all of her voicemails pile up. <laughs> and I think she's going to go back and she's going to start listening to some of them, and it's going to be like Commander Ivanova. This is General So and So. I need you to call me back on Gold Channel. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is very important. Uh, we're withholding your paycheck. Uh, pending this thing, but. However it looks, we're going to we're going to get pulled slowly back into the earth stuff. And I think I said it last week, but I think that's kind of the next chapter in this. And I agree. This is going to be I don't know if it's going to be a battle or a war, but I think it's going to be much more political than anything else. But the the delineation of Babylon five, the demarcation of Babylon five from EarthGov in a more official manner. I think this episode is going to be the one to kind of launch that. And we're going to find out right here next week. But thank you all so much for joining us. We I can't express, one, how much it means to us to have you here, but also how just stinking excited Brent and I were to get in here and have this conversation about this episode. Yeah. There were questions about Jeff and Brent from the beginning about will they stick, stick around? Will they make this happen? Are they just going to tank this for Star Trek? Nope. Babylon 5. Through and through, holy crud! This was amazing. I am, I am, I am officially ready to say, Jeff, and I think I speak for you when I say this as well. I am a big fan of Babylon Five. Huge, huge fan at this point of Babylon Five. Love it. Hey, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We'll read it right here on the podcast. Share our show with people that will appreciate it. You can do it from the app you're watching or listening listening to us in just hit share send it to somebody and let's share some babylon 5 love hey until next time uh yeah what's up oh this actually was the season finale right no no we have uh, we have 16 more episodes to go really yeah uh 16 16 more i mean we're not some some deep space franchise this station is about something like unless it's buried way deep in the ground and it's this is if this is delivery from Avalon part two. Yeah, we might have that to retract would be a let down. Might have to retract our statement on being huge fans if that's the case. <laughs> but if this is just Oh hey, my god, Brent, you know do you know what's gonna happen? What's that? Oh my god. We're gonna get the Jakar story. 
he's going to be on Narn trying mm-hmm. to set his stuff up. You know who's going to be there to help him? Wanda. King Arthur. No. That's nope. where he went. Nope. Nope. He nope. went to Narn. Nope. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I reject that. I will no longer participate in that. You went back in time and convinced JMS to back off from the Shadow Alliance thing. Hey, I got a week. 